All right, everybody, how we doing today? So how many of you in here love a good old-fashioned libertarian podcast? I once heard someone say you're not a real libertarian unless you either listen to a podcast or have a podcast. So that, I do believe that is very true. And today we have with us three of the best in the business. We have Lines of Liberty, we have our naturalist capitalist, and we have Liberty Lockdown here today to do a podcast. Let's give them all a round of applause. And let's go ahead and get started. Let's go. Welcome, everybody. Hi, we have real names too. Mark Claire Lines Liberty, Reed Coverdale. Clint Russell. Can Clint you, Russell. Is my mic on? His name's Clint Russell. I don't hear it. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. It's not my birthday today. All right, I'm back. All right, test. There we go. Mine's not working still. Hello, 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 hello. Test. Check one, two, three. We're good. Check one, two, three. This is actually there the whole go. show. Right, it's us checking microphones yeah, for 45 minutes. <laughs> This is what you guys are here for, right? That that really is what podcasting is. It's most of what you see is is checking technical things, things going wrong. The f the the finely uh, polished product you get is you know a, mere, a small percentage of it. Of yeah, but end. I don't really get a polished product. Anyone who watches my show knows that technical difficulties are half the fun. It's like, is Reed going to be with his guest all the way through the show, or how many times is he going to lose his connection? So, but what I've said is, you set the bar extremely low, and you'll meet it every time. So that's been my secret to success with podcasting. How many people in here are hosts of podcasts themselves? One, two, three, four, five. Ooh. All right. So rookie David numbers, Gornowski, you don't count. Rookie you have a radio show. <laughs> Got to get those numbers up. Uh, so yeah, today we're going to be discussing uh, the future of liberty in our lifetimes, our goal. In your lifetimes. <laughs> Excuse me, that was his edit, actually. From the pre-production email. So I, I approach this um, and kind of come from a, a kind of an apocalyptic vantage point where, uh, you know... My entire childhood, I, I kind of expected that if there were to be any sort of revolution in my lifetime, uh, it probably wouldn't be uh, fought until I was old and gray. Well, I'm almost old and gray, but still young. You shave your head, the gray doesn't. I just count. turned 40 yesterday, by the way. Um, and and thank you. I, I, I turned 42 in two days. Can I get one too? Or is it too early? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And Reed was born at some point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what strikes me is that uh, the the pace of tyranny in our country and on the planet itself has has sped up, and I didn't expect that. I thought I would probably like maybe my great grandkids would probably end up fighting in a revolution. Uh, it now appears that uh, my kids I don't have yet are probably going to be the front lines of it. So uh, I'm really grateful to people like you because you stare it in its face and you approach it with the level of seriousness that's necessary, and hopefully we can prevent any sort of violence. Um, my hope is that we can have a peaceful resolution to this and, and not go down the globalist totalitarian path. But as anybody who's paying attention to the news, it seems as if they have plans to the contrary. Uh, you guys want to make this a little bit happier? Yeah, I took a sort of proactive move and went back to New Hampshire, which is the state I'm from. I was living in Utah the last two years. Things weren't really that bad. Uh, we had minor like closings of businesses for a couple weeks and then there were some like mask mandates that maybe 40% of the population followed in the cities. So it wasn't horrible, but what I've realized is that lie that we've told ourselves forever that everybody is libertarian, they just don't know it yet is just not true. Like most people 
most people either want to be told what to do or they want to tell other people what to do because that's comfortable. Like if you're in charge of other people, it kind of gives you a feeling of power that makes you comfortable. And if you're not the type who likes to take charge, if you have people just giving you orders that you don't have to think about, that also is a comforting thought. So most people just tend toward tyranny, either administering it or following its rules. So I decided that if we want any sort of tangible liberty in our lifetimes, we have to coalesce in certain areas, whether it's Florida or New Hampshire. And I really like the way New Hampshire has been trending. So I went back there to try to build our own free homeland there. And that speaks to something that I think all, all three of us have done in the last year or so is physically relocate ourselves to a place that offered the potential for more liberty and more freedom. Because I, I think at the end of the day, when we're talking about a revolution, um, a revolution like Reed alluded to is not going to look like you turned all your friends and family and everybody you know into uh, pure Rothbardian libertarians. <laughs> That's not what it's going to look like. A revolution is going to look like Ultimately, it's going to start with you. The revolution is going to start right here, improving your own life, improving your own situation, putting yourself and your family in a better situation. And I think that's what's motivated all of us. Uh, the commonality we have, besides being 40-ish something around there, I'm not sure how old Reed is. Uh, we'll just go with it. Cis male white podcasters, uh, we've all moved ourselves physically in the last year because, you know, for me, uh, I live in a very different place than, than Reed did Um I think even, even, I don't know, I think Clint Bennett even had it better in the San Diego area than I did in Los Angeles over the last two years, where it became very clear to me that living in Los Angeles, while I love California and love, love a lot of aspects of the city, living there wasn't just, um, you know, where I had to pay more taxes anymore. It was actually a threat to my very existence and my well-being and the well-being of my family. So that's why we're here. We just moved to Tampa four days ago, and we're proud to be here in the free state of Florida. Yeah, I think a lot of libertarians are, you know, you know, they fall for the same trap that a lot of democratic socialists do. They act like everything would be fine in my utopia that doesn't exist, and I'm going to blame all my problems on that instead of trying to change my own life myself. So basically, once the Fed is finally abolished, I'll be able to have a savings account that I'll get interest on, and I can start a business, and I'll be a great capitalist, and everything will go fine. Well, it's probably not true. I mean, even though the system does bog you down and make things hard, there's a lot of things you can do to better yourself, like not getting into debt, um, you know, not living beyond your means, and taking care of things that you are in control of, and that's really where liberty starts. Uh, so, and especially if you're preaching to other people about the free society you think we should live in, if you're not leading by example and trying to take charge of your own life, then your words are pretty empty and meaningless. How many people in here have migrated over the past two years? That's quite a bit. Not bad. Yeah, and the rest of you probably were born in Florida, so you're all right. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, just as Mark was saying, I was born and raised in San Diego, California. Uh, spent the first 37 years of my life there. Absolutely loved it. All my family, all my friends. Beach volleyball every day. It was the greatest existence until Gavin Newsom had a different plan for me. So uh, I have now moved to Florida. Mark has moved from, I think, to Mexico and then to Florida. Oh, yeah. I took a little detour along the way. Yeah, he, he, he left that part out. I had to stop for tacos. And, and Reed has gone from, for nine months. from Utah to New Hampshire. And I, I think that that's an important lesson is like if, if it becomes so untenable, um, ultimately, you do have options, and we're fortunate because of our Federalist model that we have those options. I, I just had two people on my show from Australia, David Limbrick, who's actually a member of parliament there, the only good one, uh, libertarian himself, and, and or well, democratic liberal or whatever they call it. Um, 
And he was telling me, you know, they didn't have that option. They didn't have a Florida to flee to. Um, so as, as many critiques as I have of the United States, and there's a multitude at this point, uh, I'm still very grateful for our Constitution. I'm still very grateful for the, the fact that we have other options and paths to additional liberty in our lifetime that we can achieve now. And if we can reinforce those states, you could see additional congressional representation. You could also run for local office. I would love to see people as you know, bright and courageous as the young people here today uh, pursue that path because we certainly need you guys. Yeah, uh, being a trucker, seeing what was going on up in Canada really hit home with what Clint's saying that in the United States, we do have a different country. In Canada, you know, all the mandates that they were subject to were universal. There was nowhere to escape. And that's why you had that massive blowback where, meanwhile, you know, they're trying to push these federal mandates through in the United States and they get thrown out of the courts. And then you also have a place to exit to and take uh, safe refuge. So it really does make a difference. Just kind of wanted to echo that sentiment. Yeah, I mean, I think the two years have highlighted something that I, I think a lot of, I mean, I think I, even I took for granted even uh, for a long time is how how much opportunity we actually do have in the United States because of the history of this country, because we do have that cultural basis of freedom. Um, maybe we don't see it all the time because we can be in certain places or we might live in a certain place like Los Angeles where you forget it's even there. Uh, but I think the last few years have proven there is, there is at least that spirit here and there's at least that opportunity because of, like Reed said, the federalist model where you can go to a different state like Florida and have a totally different experience than one had in a place like Los Angeles over the last two years. Is that me? Okay, it's not. Um, also, uh, another aspect, of Mark, I'll just echo what Mark was saying earlier, is that because I, I'm a second-gen libertarian, which is very unique. Uh, my dad actually ran for Congress as a libertarian in the 90s in San Diego, so I was bred into this thing. Um, and I had a few years where I was like, eh, I don't know, and then I was like, no, yeah, it's, it's true. My dad was right. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> um, but... Uh, because of that, because I, I, I understood Austrian economics from a, a young age, I, was, I understood time value of money and delayed gratification and all sorts of uh, just life lessons that come along with libertarianism, personal responsibility, uh, things that unfortunately in our public school system is not commonly taught. And I had that from jump. So instead of pursuing the, the corporate path, knowing that I hated being told what to do, I became an entrepreneur and I started a mortgage company and 10 years later, when the lockdowns began, I had accumulated enough wealth through real estate investing and lending uh, that I was able to retire at 37. And because of that, I was able to pour my entire soul into my podcast. And I, I just, the reason I bring it up is not to brag, even though I do feel pretty good about it. Uh, is, you can brag, you should brag. Is that, is that I want to encourage people, you know, especially the young people that are here today. Uh, you, you have a competitive advantage over your peers. And we may not like to look at it in that cutthroat fashion, but it's reality. And you guys have a competitive advantage that is remarkable because they don't understand basically anything that you do. So take advantage of it. And I think Clint is a, a great example of someone who, because of decisions he made earlier in his life and getting his career sort of really launched um, in a way that enabled him at this point in life to not have to continue doing something that I, I think you've mentioned before, you know, you got out of real estate because of where you saw things were going and couldn't, you know, couldn't 
with your own conscience, keep keep kind of selling people these houses or whatever it may be. And uh, I think that's a prime example of what, you know, Clint is in a better position now. He's able to move himself to a different state, able to say whatever he thinks, say whatever he wants to, because he focused at a young age on building his career, building his wealth. And that's why he has more liberty today. And that's, that's what I want to drive home to people here and young Americans for liberty. I don't want to discourage you from being involved in politics, of course. I know this is a political thing. But at the same time, you're only going to get so much out of politics. You're only going to get so much out of trying to shape the national stage or even your local stage because at the end of the day you're only going to influence mostly your circle around you and the best way to influence your circle around you is to improve yourself improve your own situation uh, and, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm I'm no uh, I'm no exception to this I have a lot of work to do as well but we have to keep doing the work and, and I think where we focus that work is what's the most important the more you focus it on yourself the more you focus on the revolution within you the more you're naturally going to attract the right people to you the more you're naturally going to put yourself in a better position to then go grab that more liberty go move yourself go move your family somewhere else um, whereas if you do it the other way if you focus all on politics first and you forget about all the building skills you forget about everything you need to do to actually get yourself the liberty you know then you're going to find yourself in the other situation where you're screaming about how right you are and you have no actual liberty and no ability to change your own situation so that's what i would drive home and most importantly people won't listen to you if you're not if you're espousing all these personal liberty ideals but you're a disaster why are they going to take you seriously? These are already foreign concepts to the vast majority of people. So if you present them and you're living in a box, they're going to be like, eh, I don't know. I don't know if these ideas really make a lot of sense. Yeah, I really want to drive home the point that Mark was making about uh, you know, not shackling yourself, especially at the age that a lot of you young guys are. Like I made decisions right out of high school that have affected my life in a big way. So we have this lie that you have to go to college and you have to have a degree and you have to have all these qualifications and specifications when none of them really mean anything and you're putting yourself thousands and thousands of dollars in debt for a career that you don't even know you're gonna be good at or that you like. Uh, you know, ever since I was a kid, my dad always taught us to kind of just jump into anything that we were interested in and just try it with the equipment that we had and see if we liked it. Uh, you know, for a, a, a more contemporary point, um, with my podcast, um, I just started it uh, li living in the mountains in Colorado because I couldn't get a trucking job because uh, of COVID. I was just kind of hanging out with my aunt and uncle with really bad Wi-Fi. And my first several episodes, I just recorded on Skype with a friend. It was really choppy, not good video quality. And then I'd upload them to YouTube and it would take like 24 hours. It was like using dial-up almost to get them up on the internet. Then I got a trucking job in Utah and the apartment I moved into, um, I was working all the time and the guy couldn't come install the Wi-Fi unless I was home and he only did it on weekdays and I kept trying to set up appointments and kept missing it. So I would take my tablet and just lean it up against my lunchbox and just look at my tablet and use LTE service talking with whoever I was doing the interview with. And then I would go to McDonald's and sit in the parking lot where I could pick up the Wi-Fi and download the video onto my uh, computer and then upload it onto YouTube. But I had something to talk about. I'd just go do it and see if podcasting was something you know, that I had a knack for. Instead of going out and buying thousands of dollars of equipment and you know, trying to I don't know, like, uh, you know, get the perfect podcasting setup if you don't even know you're good at it. But that, that isn't just with podcasting, that's with everything. Like, you should make sure that 
you're setting yourself up for a career that you're going to be good at, that you like doing, that you have a natural skill for, and so many people aren't doing that. They're just doing what they're told, wasting thousands of dollars, years of their life to set themselves up to bag groceries at a grocery store, $40,000 in debt. So don't do that. I think the question on everyone's mind, uh, what, what kind of lunchbox do you have, Reed? What's, Thundercats? I or? think it was a uh, Igloo. <laughs> I, I meant more like, you know, what's on the lunchbox. Yeah. But no big deal. Um, <laughs> these are the pressing questions people are interested in. Clint, it's your turn to talk. That's, that's, oh, why, I just, sorry. that's why I just made a quip because I, I didn't have anything to say. I can't see you around Reed's enormous That's how it head. works. Um, yeah, no, I, I'll, I'll echo what Reed was saying. I, I think that there is an issue with kind of analysis paralysis where, where people, I, I even suffer it sometimes, where I spent like at least a year talking about starting Liberty Lockdown before I actually did it. The, the lockdowns gave me a real catalyst to do so. Uh, obviously, I wasn't going to title it that back then, but it became apropos. Very prescient. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> For years, I wanted to do a podcast called Liberty Lockdown and finally got the opportunity. I was just, uh, yeah. Anyway, so I, I think that that's, that's really key is that, um, you know, take an opportunity when it's presented to you. Make sure that, that you're prepared for that opportunity if it's presented as well. Uh, that's the biggest thing that I've, I've benefited from is that because I had that financial liberty when the world went insane, I, within less than a year, I was on part of the problem, my favorite podcast of all time with Dave Smith. And that is totally dependent on the fact that I had so much free time during the lockdown year to make myself an entity that was worth talking to or even known. Um, and a lot of the times you're not going to know. I mean, there was a lot of fate that comes into that. Uh, but I now launch out of bed every single day. And when I was an entrepreneur as a mortgage broker, I was making way more money than I do now, but I never felt as good as I do about what I'm doing now. I, I am truly on the path I was born to be on. And I don't feel like a lot of people get to say that. I, I feel like a lot of people don't even know what that path looks like. Um, I don't think that I knew what it was going to look like either, to be honest. I certainly didn't think being a libertarian podcaster when I was like five years old, that's what I'm going to be doing. Um, but it's, it's so gratifying beyond any sort of notoriety or financial uh, benefits just to be able to have some impact with these crazy ideas is so special. I remember when I was in high school, I used to talk to people about the Federal Reserve and it looked like I had a third eye. Um, I, fortunately, I think that thanks to Ron Paul, many of you don't experience the absurd or freakish looks that I did when I was growing up, but um, we're making real progress. It doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like that, especially when you're locked in your house for over a year. Are high uh, schoolers talking about the Fed nowadays? I don't know. I'd like to know. Be cool if they were. No? Anybody recently out? Yeah. Huh. Okay. Hmm. Well, then it hasn't okay. changed all that much. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks Mark. <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah, but if they're asking, exactly. You don't need a libertarian. How much time do you have? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I've made the case on uh, Matt Kibbe's show that the biggest threat to liberty is comfort. Because when you're comfortable, you're complacent, and you stop paying attention. Uh, that's why I'm a bit of an accelerationist in a lot of ways. I think that the last two years have really woken a lot of people up who would still be asleep at the wheel. Um, but, you know, I, I think people used to move 
in the past. They used to move across the country to get a different job or to try something different. I mean, that's the history of this country is people branching out and trying new things. And that's, that's the part foundation of, of this country. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's a cultural piece that we've lost. It doesn't seem like people do that anymore. They're scared to branch out and try something new. Um, so I, I don't know, just embrace that uncertainty and go try something and go do something and, and just do it and, you know, see what happens. And the truth is you're never going to feel ready for a big change in, in your life. You're, you're never going to feel like this is the moment I have every single thing figured out kind of to echo what Reed was talking about as far as podcasting or any kind of business venture you might go into. You're, there is not going to have a, be a time where you are 100% prepared to do that thing, to take that step. Uh, the nine, the last nine months for me, we know. Not only did I leave um, Los Angeles, I spent nine months um, in Mexico with my family, waiting for their immigration here. So I had, we had a very complicated path to get here, and didn't have it all figured out. We're still figuring it out, but we're here, and we just and the the really the key is to orient yourself in the right direction. Know where you want to go, figure out where you want to be, and just point yourself there. And the you know the road there isn't necessarily going to be a straight one or a smooth one, but keep aiming in that direction, and that that's how you get somewhere. Ultimately. Yeah, and I mean, just make sure you're being yourself and you're doing what you think is right for you and your family or whatever. Like, people are always going to be naysayers. They're always going to tell you, no, you shouldn't try this. Um, you know, if I had never left the job I got when I was 19, I'd still just be, you know, setting utility poles and stringing wires. Never would have been to all 50 states, never would have done this podcasting stuff, never would have met all these amazing people that I've become friends with. Uh, you know, I had a really sturdy job and things were going well, but I just wanted a little adventure to try something different, and here I am. So if you really have the capability to do something and it's something you really think you want to do, just go try it. And, of course, people are going to discourage you, but if you know it's right and what you want to do, don't let anyone hold you back. Just <clears throat> emphasizing that point, you know, I just turned 40, so all of my best friends from high school are now middle-aged. I know that's really weird to say. God, I'm so old. Uh, or just old, whatever. You can call it either way. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and I just, as a cautionary tale, I, I look at many of them who got a decent paying job in their early 20s or mid-20s, and, and it became like Velcro. Mm -hmm. Like they couldn't break away. And I look at them today, and it, I, this is kind of sad to even say it, but it's true. There is, there is a lifelessness to their existence. The, the passion has been drained out of them. It's heartbreaking. I still love these guys, don't get me wrong, but there's just something to be said for, especially when you're young, taking a swing, taking a risk. I mean, you only live once, unless, you know, the Buddhists are right. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to operate as if we only live once. And, and I just feel that... I mean, at any age, I would encourage people to take risks, but particularly in your 20s. My goodness. If you aren't taking a risk, what are you doing? I mean, other than the monkeypox thing, be careful with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think what Clint is kind of describing there is something I've been talking about a lot called the pretty good job trap. And I was in this trap myself. I had a pretty good job. I was paid pretty well. I had pretty damn good benefits, just enough to feel comfortable. And like what Reed was saying, comfort can be, um, you know, like Velcro. Like it can, it can keep you stuck to something. And sometimes it takes, you know, 
a, a crazy two great reset years to snap yourself out of that funk. But I think the more that I can convey that message to you guys, to the young people, that doesn't mean you shouldn't take a good job if it's offered to you. It doesn't mean you shouldn't um, you know, take a job with great benefits and thinking about your family and all, all of this stuff. These are wonderful things. However, what you, when, you, when you think that's your only option because you're so comfortable, when you think that's, this has to be the path you're on because it just makes sense, because it makes all the sense on paper, you've done all the math, this is obviously the best place to be, but there's a lot more than what's on that paper, and I would just encourage people to look around, uh, smell the roses, I guess you might want to say, and, and try to, you know, surely save money, surely use that good job to maybe put yourself in a better position. If you're in that good job trap, then use the trap, you know? Spend an extra hour or two after you get off that job and build a new skill. Um, use the position you're in to give yourself more options because if you're not realizing after the last two years that it's called a trap for a reason, you're going to be trapped one day if you stick yourself in that trap. One day you're going to find yourself facing a vaccine mandate and you're going to say, wait a minute, if I don't do it, I'm going to lose all these benefits. I'm going to lose this salary. What are we going to do? Well, I'm telling you to figure out what you're going to do right now, because while the COVID regime might be winding down, while a lot of what we've seen in the last two years, narrative-wise, might be winding down, what's been put in place is not going anywhere, and your friends and family are going to freak out about the same thing they just freaked out about again, and they're going to laugh and say, you should, ju you should have just taken that jab. So think about that when you are thinking about the situation you're in. Don't get comfortable. Be comfortable if you can be. I think that's good, but don't stay comfortable and don't let the uh, the Velcro, I guess, stick yourself anywhere for yeah. too long. So what do you guys think? I am optimistic because of the tyranny of the last couple years. Uh, I mean, I think otherwise a lot of people wouldn't care about anything. They wouldn't make any changes in their own lives. Maybe it's a little bit selfish because a lot of people have suffered and that's awful. But, uh, for example, the Free State Project in New Hampshire, that was... Uh, I don't want to say fruitless, but it was definitely stagnant until the last couple of years, and then tons of people have moved there. The reason being because they were fine in Missouri or Illinois or wherever. They thought the Free State Project sounded like a cool idea, but why would I ever leave suddenly when you get forced to get a vaccine or you know you lose your job because of lockdowns or whatever, then everything changes. So as awful as the last two years have been, I think it has opened up a huge opportunity for people to change. I just wanted to hear what you guys think about that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that this is an opportunity of a lifetime because we're dealing with once-in-a-lifetime tyranny. It's really true. Uh, I wish it weren't the case. I wish that we could actually have a catalyst when things aren't awful to to really revolutionize our country. But the vast majority of people, you get your food delivered, for God's sakes. You have infinite streaming services. It's just, it's a very comfortable life. Until all of a sudden, that's the only thing you're allowed to do, and then you're like, oh man, this kind of sucks. I might want to change this. Um, so I think that we have just incredible momentum, uh, not just libertarian, but liberty Republicans, everybody across the board. I think that anybody that is, that is pushing in the same direction I am, no matter which political path you're on. Uh, I think that there's alliances to be had. I think that there's numerous projects. Florida is a good example, obviously, New Hampshire. Um, Texas, Tennessee, they all have kind of hotbeds of liberty. And ultimately, I think it's probably going to lead to a secession movement. But in the interim, it just gives us reinforcements. It gives us an opportunity to, to prove out our ideas in the real world. And I think that's very powerful. And I think one thing that shook me over the last couple of years, um, going off what Clint was saying there about, you know, 
people like us, I think, weren't satisfied to sit at home ordering Uber Eats, um, watching Netflix. But what struck me was how many of my friends and family were okay with that over the last two years. And when you look around, you can, you can probably see different kinds of people. In this room, I'm guessing there's more of the kind of people that weren't necessarily happy to just be told to stay in their home and watch Netflix and take your check from the government and everything's gonna be okay. But I think if you didn't realize that most of your friends and family were, then you're not seeing the forest for the trees. Or you are seeing for the forest for the trees? Something about forests and trees is the point. <laughs> uh, but, but I mean, I, I think and that many people were not just okay with the tyranny, but they were welcoming it and they were cheering for it. And they're going to be begging for it when something like this comes up again. Imagine what, knowing what COVID really was, what it really was, which is essentially, well, I don't want, we're not streaming to YouTube, right? I can say anti-science It's a bioweapon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's even, that's further than I was going to go. So yeah, let's go with that. Whatever it was, imagine something that was actually way worse and how your friends and family will react. That's coming. That day is coming. I don't know if it's tomorrow. I don't know if it's monkeypox this weekend here at Yale. I don't know if it's in five years or 10 years. Point is, it's coming. So prepare yourself. And most importantly, prepare your soul. Prepare yourself to be strong because that's what you're going to need. That's what you're going to need in these great reset times to come because your options are live in the pod and eat the bugs or, or figure something else out for yourself and your family. Yeah, the hard part is going against... I like bugs actually, but it's not the point. The hard part is going against your family and friends. I mean, the easy part is, you know, triggering the libs on Twitter or whatever. That doesn't take any guts. Reed uh, specializes in that. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, <laughs> when your family members or your close friends are starting to act insane over this type of stuff and you have to tell them that they're being stupid and that you're not going to go along with their BS anymore, that's when it really gets tough. Um, and over the last couple of years, that's what's been the most shocking to me is seeing who reacted the way they did, because I wouldn't have guessed the people who reacted the way they did would have reacted that way. <laughs> like I thought some other people who didn't react in a ridiculous way would have. And then a lot of people who I thought were kind of cool minded and even tempered, they went the opposite way. And that's the toughest part. And I was lucky that my immediate family never got ridiculous over it. Uh, I know a lot of people can't say the same things, but that's where the test really comes. How many how many people in here lost friends or family, not from COVID, but in terms of relationships? Yeah. And that's that comes, I mean, that, that's kind of a natural process being a libertarian anyways, or liberty-oriented, but uh, certainly... Well, it used to be they just thought you were their, their crazy friend or crazy uncle who ranted about whatever. Now it's like, oh no, you're someone that needs to be away from me. Yes. And that's well, how I feel about that. I mean, they were, they were propagandized into believing that you were a vector for disease, so of course... I mean, I'd be fine if they only wanted me away from them. You know, that's okay. Sure. But, yeah. Well, I, and I moved very far away. Um, but what I, I wanted to, you know kind of silver lining that point is that, well, I lost, I lost some really important friendships. Um, and obviously I moved 3000 miles away. So I lost a lot of relationships, uh, just because of proximity. I, I also discovered my tribe, you know, I, I poured my entire existence into my show and meeting these people and Michael Heiss and the Mises caucus and everybody else that I, I have now become, you know, really genuine friends with. And it's, it's amazing because you feel very alone, especially during early days of COVID. My God, did I feel alone. Does anyone in here know Dennis on Twitter? Dennis Troll King. Like, he just pretends to be different people all the time. 
So he pretended to be Alex Jones a couple months ago, and he messaged me the night before that he was going to do it, and he got 30,000 followers within 24 hours just tweeting out a link to InfoWars saying he was Alex Jones, and he came back. And just knowing the truth of the situation and watching everyone fall for it, it just reminded me of the last two years. Like, the stuff that they pulled over... Uh, that, that you know that they pulled on us overnight, and the the stupid stuff they got us to argue about instead, while they were bailing out corporations and shutting down small businesses and locking people in their houses, is crazy. And when you can see the truth like that, and you see the the dumb shit they make us argue about, it's just incredible. Yeah, and and what's really key is that because you guys understand economics, you knew that well. We were arguing over you know one or two or three masks, or one or two or three jabs that we should have been arguing over the one or two, three trillion that they were printing. Uh, everyone thought that they were getting that, <clears throat> that free check, and they thought there was no, no ramifications to come from it. And I think the vast majority of people still don't understand that we're experiencing an inflationary period because of that Well, almost nobody policy. saw the inflation coming, Clint. So No one. We were pretty exclusive up here. I do have a Twitter account that can prove at least one person. No. I know everybody, everybody that understands economics knew it was going to be a problem. But uh, the reason I bring it up is like, it is key that we become some sort of force in the media apparatus. It doesn't have to be mainstream, but we have to, be, we have, to have reach that can inform people because they don't understand what's going on. Like... Hey, you think you can stay home and Uber Eats and watch Netflix and not work forever and that everything's going to be fine and that products will continue to be delivered on time. It's not true. We will suffer. We are not unique. We can be Venezuela too. Um, so I just want to encourage people to speak the truth. Tell people what you know. I know it can, it can alienate you from people. It can make, make you feel alone. It can make you get people really upset. My grandma hasn't left her house in two years. It's tragic. But at some point, you have to just own that and realize that like you're not helping anybody by, by biting your tongue. And especially for the young people in here that are going to be entering the corporate world, um, you're going to be asked to bite your tongue basically your entire career, uh, which is why I have pursued the entrepreneurial path for the past 20. It's, it's so much more gratifying, especially if you're liberty-minded. My God, you will lose your mind working for a corporation. So unless you're blessed and you end up with some like super-based boss, but that's pretty rare. And I think there are a few ways you can sort of approach these conversations with people. And I, I know, I don't think, I know for a long time uh, in my early days, you might say, I was one of those sort of annoying Facebook, Ron Paul, libertarians, and I still am, by the way. Um, maybe not as annoying, maybe more annoying, depending on who you are. Um, but, you know, we can, I was one of those people who had to finish a Facebook, and sometimes this still happens, I'm not going to lie, had to finish a Facebook conversation being right at the end, because that's how Facebook conversations end. Someone says, yes, you were right, and we, we all move on. Um, that just never works. It doesn't matter what we're talking about. It doesn't matter if we're talking about uh, COVID or you know, influencing your life, whatever it may be. If your focus is to prove yourself right, you are already wrong. You have already lost the conversation. That is a really hard thing to do, especially for people like us that know we're right about everything, you know? But, I mean, really, what you have to do is approach a conversation like that and, and, and really talk to people about what is actually going to impact their lives. Um, yes, the Fed does impact people's lives, but getting into the weeds on all that as you know, your, your step one conversation is probably going to turn them off more likely than it is um, if, you're actually, if, if you're actually discussing something about, let's say, how they can protect themselves from a vaccine mandate, how they can improve their situation. Um, 
trust me, there's enough going on in our lives every day. And yeah, maybe inflation, we could talk about the Fed. Um, but is it gonna is it gonna change their lives? I think that's what we really need to focus on. Because uh, for many people, their lives have been completely affected over the last two years in a very negative way. Many people have lost everything they had ever built in the last two years. Um, so we need to realize that, we need to understand that, and we need to talk to people in that way, as opposed to necessarily, here are the 17 reasons why Rothbard told me I was right about the Fed, which of course we are. Yeah, I think another important thing is not being hateful toward people who aren't all the way where you are yet. I mean, I'm pretty scathing toward political parties and political candidates, but a lot of people who watch my show and who have come to think the way I do, it started out because they realized they didn't hate them for having a different opinion than me. I just thought they were wrong. And, you know, it's really easy to be the guy who just said, you know, I saw this coming at the beginning and I can't believe you didn't see it and what's wrong with you and you're a moron. Like once people finally realize that they were on the wrong side or that, you know, they were tricked over the last couple of years, there are some wounds that are going to be hard to heal, but for every, I mean, all that you can do, just, uh, you know, try to welcome them in and say, I'm glad you're here now. And even if they're not all the way where you are, work with them on what you can, because uh, that's the only way we're going to win. You know, Ron Paul talked about that all the time. Uh, you're not going to turn everyone into a libertarian, but with single issue coalitions, you can get stuff done. And that's the way to, you know, bring people over to your side. Yeah, told, told you so's work really well to grow an audience on Twitter. They don't work really well to uh, to change anyone's heart or mind. Um, also, I think that because we we kind of focus on some pretty dry topics, economics, things that people don't, you know, foreign policy, uh, peace, all boring stuff, worthless stuff. Dancing Israelis. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Jesus Dawson has Christ. entered the chat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how that correlates. Uh, I was just throwing something interesting in. Oh, okay, thanks. It's a boy I, band, right? I think I think it's important to approach these people with with some love and compassion. And I know that sounds pretty gay, but it's true. Uh, if if you're going to present like, oftentimes libertarians or or conservatives are are perceived as being very callous towards the poor. Couldn't be further from the truth for me, at least, and I think for the vast majority of people, is that I understand that our economic models, our preferences in terms of free market capitalism, we realize that that helps the poor more than any other economic model. And if you don't make that clear, then it just sounds like, oh, greedy capitalist, cutthroat pig, you know? And because the vast majority of colleges these days are teaching kids that, uh, and elementary school and middle school, I don't know why, uh, we, we have an uphill battle. We already have you know, a, a propagandistic viewpoint that we have to break through. So if you can do that in your own personal life, uh, I think it could pay dividends on a more broad scale. I just realized we had a countdown timer. Did you guys know that? I had no idea this whole time. Should we, do we want to save a few minutes for questions or anything like that? Is there enough interest in questions or should we just ramble for another 10 minutes? Because we can do either one. Okay. All right. So we got to find so, something. So say to some talk more stuff. All right. Uh, so dancing Israelis, I guess we're there, right? I mean, it's 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 been broached. <laughs> can we get one on? Or we can talk about Michael Jackson. I mean, it's it's really it could go a few different ways here. You've been writing some stuff down there. What? I mean, that's the extent of my notes. So. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Yeah. Well, go for it when Clint gets you a microphone. Uh, so my question is for Clint Russell. Uh, what's it like for you to get to speak to Judge Knapp 
on a pretty regular basis? Are you uh, a well, fanboy? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the weirdest thing about this the past two years. I can't even describe how weird it is to be friends with all my heroes um, and genuine friends. And what's really cool is like, once I got to know these guys on a personal level, you would expect there to be some ego behind it because, you know, Dave Smith is like adored by hundreds of thousands, maybe millions, I don't know. Uh, Andrew Napolitano, obviously, I watched him for a decade plus before I got to meet him. And now he's on my show every Thursday. Weird. Uh, so yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. You never, you never really get over it. Um, at least I haven't yet. I hope I don't. I hope I can like feel that same awe every time I talk to these guys. And because they're such brilliant thinkers and they're so kind and they're such good people, I don't think I'll ever lose that awe. So thank you for the question. I never get over having Brian McWilliams on my show. I just had to drop his name. Clint knows why. I will not entertain Brian McWilliams' comments. That's, that's my rule. Uh, we got another one, if you guys got time. Yeah, so let's say you, get, we talked, or you guys talked a lot about um, going to, or moving to different states that more closely match the way you want to live, the pol you know, and libertarian politics and all that. Um, and so in an effort of making states that that kind of state that libertarians want to go live in or liberty oriented people want to be in. What are your guys' thoughts on the uh, states sort of doing like the nullification thing, like marijuana, federally legal and states are just kind of like, well, we're not going to enforce that. Or, and now there's states that are looking at doing that with like second amendment, you know, sanctuary or protection acts or things like that. So I don't know. I was wondering what you guys thought about that as a way of states further securing uh, liberty for the people who live in them and where you think that might lead. So, yeah, I don't think secession is actually ever going to really happen. I think nullification is in essence secession because you, you know, you get rid of the power of the federal government, but New Hampshire just, uh, nullified all federal gun laws with a bill that our governor signed a few weeks ago. Um, and yeah, when other States do stuff like that, that I think that's the most effective way to push back. Yeah, and I think these things go hand in hand. I mean, the more of a certain like-minded person is in a certain geographic area, the more politicians may be empowered to try to service that sort of person. I mean, I, th I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's something like 6,000 people a day are moving to Florida. I don't think most of them are woke. I'm just going to guess. Um, and, you know, even here in Florida, we've seen, yeah, Florida is not going to break away from the United States anytime soon, but uh, DeSantis has already come and put in some anti-ESG type uh, regulations too, where banks can't be doing woke banking. Um, this is the kind of thing you can see on a state-by-state -state level, and it's the kind of thing that the more people gravitate to, the more empowered these politicians, yes, we should treat them like dogs. When they do good, we should give them a treat. When they're bad, we should, you know, put them outside or whatever it may be. Um, put so, them down. Yeah. Yes. Well, I wouldn't go. That. I don't know if I'd go that far. Maybe. I don't think we're allowed to say that. Anyway, point being, yes, I think that the more geographic relocation you see in that way, the more treats we can give the politicians that are servicing people like us. I should have known that threatening politicians' lives was going to get an applause. Uh, I think I think that nullification is is honestly like that is the way to get more liberty in our lifetime, really, like in the present. So it's huge. Uh, voter, or excuse me, jury nullification too. Like if you're on a jury and you can actually free some nonviolent drug offender, God bless, man. You changed someone's life. That's incredible. So I think that that's that's really in the in the short term, that's a, that's all we got. Because uh, you know the federal level elections are so much sexier. Like everyone talks about it, but the truth is that the local level is really where 
you're most affected, aside from nuclear war. I mean, and ultimately, ultimately, what's going to impact your life is not necessarily, it's definitely not the federal elections. It's, it's, it's maybe your governor election, maybe not as much. It, really, it's going to be not even your elections locally. It's going to be your community and your connection to your community locally. So that's where, I, I mean, that's where 90 to 95% of your focus should be. What can I do in my community? Maybe it's just shaking your neighbor's hands and inviting them over and getting to know them. So when shit goes down, you have some people you can rely on that look at you as a real human being who didn't just try to shove Rothbard down their throat for 10 minutes. Um, but either way, I think that. The, the more you focus on your on the community level and on building up your community or maybe running for school board or whatever it may be, that's where you're going to really see the impact if you're trying to get involved in politics. You're not going to see it by sending five bucks to your favorite politician. Um, it might make you feel good and you might want to do that, but it's not what's going to actually end up impacting your lives. Awesome. We have time for this question or one more? Uh, so my big question is, is that Mises was a big fan of secession and believed that people should have the right to secede from the United States. And so my biggest question is, how could we as libertarians promote the idea of secession and make sure that it is something that more people can get on board with than the idea that we could secede from the federal government and its tyranny? I talk about it a lot on my show um, because ultimately I do think it's all right. So, you know, whether or not that that brings up bad emotions from people I always try and for the more sensitive folks, um, you know, clarify. Obviously, this is not tied to the defense of slavery in any form or fashion. <laughs> I don't know why I have to say that. It should be obvious, but um, yeah, I think that that's, honestly, my opinion of secession is that it's gonna happen whether we like it or not. Um, and it's only gonna happen in a way that we might like if perhaps we have our hands on the levers of power. Um, so that's my hope is that as kind of a USSR style dissolution occurs once our dollar dies, which is probably in your lifetime, uh, I think that it's going to happen. So I don't think there's anything wrong with popularizing the concept now. I know it's not uh, politically popular to, to many people, but I'm going to keep doing it anyways because I think it's all right. And I think ultimately it's probably the most peaceful outcome we can hope for. <laughs> Yeah, I, mean, I don't know how much, like, I would agree uh, conceptually or philosophically that every human has the right to secede from basically every organization down to the individual. Um, in reality, yeah, we're not going to see that. I mean, look at sovereign citizens. Um, yeah, there's some people that live without without banks and without, uh, without driver's licenses and stuff like that. But in reality, most people aren't going to actually secede from the United States. In reality, most states aren't going to, and probably any state isn't going to secede from the United States. But you don't necessarily need to have that. What you actually need is a community that's strong, um, perhaps a state that's strong, and whether it's called secession or not in the end doesn't really matter. If you're in a position to, to, to ignore mandates, if your community is in a position to protect you from things, well, who cares if it's called secession or not? The, the point being, if you've built a strong community, um, if you're in a place where you know people have your back, then all of that stuff is kind of irrelevant in the end. Yeah, like I said, I think nullification is a more realistic strategy. Uh, we won't even let Luhansk and Donetsk secede from Ukraine. So, you know, I don't think that we're going to let Florida leave. But I do think if a state secedes, it would be hilarious if New Hampshire secedes before any southern states do it. Even though they did, you guys did it first. But, you know, we're going to be the leaders this time. <laughs> All right, last question. So, Mike, I'm over here. Um, <laughs> Sorry about that. So my question is more in line with, you guys mentioned building a community, and 
pushing back on the far crazy leftists of the world. Um, recently, we had Eric July just start up the Ripiverse to fight combat <clears throat> woke media companies. Are you guys seeing any other people that are starting stuff like that in your cir sphere circles? Ugh. Words. Uh, well, Jeremy Kaufman with uh, Library and Odyssey, you know, that's been a huge thing. That's been um, a great free speech platform where there's actually free speech. You can say whatever you want. You don't get kicked off of there. Um, that's been the biggest one in my circle that I've seen. It, very impressive. Yeah. But I think the point about what Eric July is doing is, is really important because Eric July is not producing a libertarian comic book. He's producing a bitchin' awesome comic book that isn't trapped in this woke shit, and I think there is a, a big distinction there. He's trying to produce quality com content as opposed to shoving an ideology down your throats, and I think that's a better approach um, for anybody that's going into media or any other kind of project. Um, yes, you are who you are, so I think your ideology and your philosophy is going to naturally filter into anything you, you pour yourself into, but if you try to market it as, here's this thing, and you must listen to us, and you it's, it's going to turn people off. But if you focus on the quality, then and focus on your passion, then what it's supposed to be is just going to naturally attract more people to it. As we've seen with Eric July, um, making over three, I think it's close to $4 million now on this campaign. I guarantee it's not all like Rothbardian libertarians that are supporting him. It's people that are excited about a new product. Sure. Yeah, I, I think that that's uh, on, a, on a broader, like top-down view. What's really important about what Eric's doing is that it's showing that there's market demand for this stuff. Um, and I think a lot of people had been convinced or kind of duped into believing like, nah, you gotta, you gotta go along to get along if you want to rise up. And there's enormous, like, as far as I'm concerned, it's like blue water for anybody that wants to get into the unwoke or anti-woke anything industry a film. You're seeing it with the daily wire. Um, obviously Glenn Beck is, he's got the blaze and it's the biggest independent, uh, podcast network in the, in the world, as far as I know. So there's opportunity, uh, and I think it's vitally important. You know, if like if we're in a culture war and you don't have anything that people are watching or listening to, well, you're losing it. <laughs> you are absolutely losing that war. So, uh, obviously, on my show, I talk a lot about ESG and the reasons that that wokeness has taken over corporate America and the corporate environment globally. Um, so, there, this is a much more complicated topic, but I don't want to bring that up to discourage anybody. So, I'm just going to leave that aside and say, if you have an idea, you know. Go get it. Yeah, Tuttle Twins. Sorry. Yeah, that's Let's another great one. one. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that is our time. So We are wrapped. I am you. Clint Russell from Liberty Lockdown. I'm Reed Coverdale from The Naturalist Capitalist. Mark Claire Lyons Liberty. Thank you guys so much. <laughs>